All right, good morning, Mercy Hill family. It's good to be with you. If we haven't met, my name is Brad. I'm one of the elders and one of the pastors here. And uh, before we get rolling in John chapter 11 this morning, I want to just say um, a big thanks to a few of our, our volunteers who have put in a lot of hours these last few days getting ready to, to regather. We were really encouraged this last week on Friday to see a crane here on the property lifting the outside unit into place. And then yesterday, I was here from about 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And when I left, um, Robert and Samantha and Peter and Lori were still here working on audio and video struggles that we had all day yesterday. Michael was also still here, and so thank you to all of you volunteers who worked so hard on the building, on all of our technology, and we're grateful to have not only the live stream, but also then the opportunity to regather in person for some of those who will be available. Be on the lookout this week on social media. We'll be sharing a video of just some new protocols that will be in place so that you'll have an idea what to expect for those of you who are able to show up uh, next Sunday and worship in person with us. We, of course, look forward to continue um, using our live stream and the technology that God has given us so that we can all continue to worship together. If you would take out a Bible... Turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is the seventh sign in the gospel of John. This is a sign that is familiar to many people. It's the healing of Lazarus. And signs in John's gospel, we've learned it well by now, but each of these signs are miracles that point to greater spiritual realities. And so this is the seventh sign, and... and I would say the greatest sign that Jesus has shown us so far. However, let me encourage you that as you think about this story that is probably familiar to many of you, maybe you've heard this story preached on or you've heard it at a funeral before, as we see one of the three uh, passages in which Jesus weeps. Let me encourage you to think about this story in the context in this way. Even though this story is most likely labeled in your Bibles as the raising of Lazarus, this story is primarily not about Lazarus, but it's about something greater. And in the same way, as incredible as our lives really are, I mean, we each have the opportunity to live incredible lives, to, to go and do uh, really, really fun things in our lives and to just to see lots of accomplishments and a lot of beauty that's around us. And as incredible as our lives really are, there's something that's even greater about our lives. And we're going to see that in this text today, in this miracle of the raising of Lazarus. And so let's look, and I'll begin reading in verse 1, as we see Jesus show us what it looks like to live lives that are fully alive. In verse 1, John writes, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, 
so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. In this section of John's Gospel, Jesus' public ministry comes to a sudden end. He's being hunted by the religious leaders. They have sought to stone him. And this is the point where John marks a transition. In in chapters 11 and 12, we see Jesus' ministry as it was very public. Now it begins to be um, much more private. And we see the beginning of what would be described as Jesus' passion or his suffering, where just in the next few days, we'll see his triumphal entry and those moments where he will where he will head toward the cross. In this moment in time, Jesus has gone back to the place where it all began, where John the Baptist was baptizing his followers there at the Jordan River. And as Jesus is there with his disciples, he receives word that Lazarus, his friend, and the brother of Mary and Martha is very ill. John highlights that this is the same Mary who will anoint Jesus later in chapter 12. So as you read that, if you think, I don't know that I remember studying that yet. John is assuming that we will will know about this Mary from the story of Mary and Martha in Luke's Gospel. And he'll highlight this moment in Mary's life where she anoints Jesus in the next chapter in John chapter 12. In verse 3, I love the fact that Mary and Martha don't even ask Jesus to come. They simply say, He whom you love is ill. They trust that Jesus can perform miracles. They've seen Him do this from a distance. They know that Jesus doesn't necessarily have to come in order for Lazarus to be healed. And they trust that Jesus will do what He sees to be best. And so they simply say, Lazarus, your friend, he is ill. But in that moment, the story takes a very surprising turn. If you look at verses 5 through 7, these people that Jesus loves so dearly, he finds out that they're ill, and so he chooses to stay another two days. If we're going to live lives that are fully alive, then the first question that this story gives us that we must answer is this 
What do you do in your life when God delays? What do you do when God delays? Have you ever had moments in your life where God seemed to be hiding? Where it felt like God was maybe playing a cruel joke on you as you waited and waited and waited? One of the hardest things in this life is to wait on the Lord. What do you do in your life in those moments where your life just seems to be filled with waiting? There's three things that I would encourage us in. A, I would say that we must trust God. We must trust Him. Which is always easier said than done. This story points out the fact that God oftentimes has a different goal in mind than what we might have. When we trust Him, that means that we don't enter into sarcasm or cynicism. I want to encourage us in this. If we trust God in our waiting, one of the ways that we can evaluate in our own lives if we're really trusting Him is by listening not only to what we are saying, but also to pay attention to our attitudes. I've been discouraged oftentimes over the last now several months as I've gotten on social media and I've seen the level of cynicism and sarcasm that many Christians have shown during this time of pandemic. It's, it's as if they believe that God is confused or that God does not know what He is up to. In the moments of our waiting, we must trust God. Our lives are filled with trusting God. From the moment that we're born, our lives are filled with trusting Him. You think about um, all the experiences we go through in school and in dating, with our jobs, with our spouses, with our children. Our lives are filled with moments of trusting God over and over again. And so we must learn that God does some of His greatest work in us while we wait and learn to depend and to rely on Him. I wonder what God may be teaching you right now during the pandemic. What He might be attempting to teach you. Are you listening? Are you waiting? Or is your life filled with sarcasm and cynicism? Are you just waiting for things to get back to normal? Are you saying, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting that there's something that you want to teach me. That, you're, that there's something you want to teach our family, our church, our state, even our nation and our world during this time. God, I'm going to trust you. B, we must know that God cares. Maybe I should have put that one first because we're probably not going to trust anyone unless we know that they care. But God cares. Jesus didn't rush to Lazarus in order to heal him because Jesus had a bigger plan. He would use Lazarus' death and resurrection as a sign to show the Father's power. The Father's desire to bring resurrection. To bring eternal life to all who would believe. And God is a good parent. And He knows what's best for us. And just like children have to learn to trust their parents. Even when their parents call them to do something that doesn't seem like fun. 
in the same way God is so much better than our parents, we must learn to trust God. Because if we don't learn to trust Him, if we don't follow Him in obedience, in those times of waiting, if we don't believe that He cares, then we'll take matters into our own hands. And we will not live lives to the fullest. In fact, we'll live lives in which we try to manipulate the circumstances and we will look, we will look outside of God for worship, for our happiness. One of my old mentors um, used this term oftentimes. He said, we must learn to trust in God's orchestration. And I love that term, God's orchestration. If you've ever been to the, um, to the symphony or to the orchestra before, you've seen the orchestra director. And as he will look to one section of the orchestra and he will call on them to begin to play, the orchestra would make no sense if you only heard the flutes. Or if you only heard the cellos. Or if you only heard the oboes. If you only heard these individual pieces playing, the orchestra would make no sense. But as he directs each section to play their part, this beautiful music is created and in much the same way, if we live our lives as if we can find the fullest on our own, we'll never find the beautiful music that God desires to create when each of us look to Him and trust Him and believe that He cares and we follow Him in obedience even in our waiting, even when He delays. See, we must allow the struggle to grow our faith. I love what John says in verse 15 as he describes Jesus' words. He says, And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So that you may believe. There are times in our life in which Jesus is saying that struggle and waiting are opportunities to grow and strengthen our faith. God oftentimes does His greatest work through those who have suffered greatly. That's why James would say in James chapter 1 and verses 2 and 3, Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We can only count it all joy if we trust that God cares and that He is teaching us so we must be willing to obey in order for our faith to continue to grow. We pick the story back up in verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going up to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? If we're going to live lives that are fully alive, we must learn that sometimes God allows suffering so His glory can be revealed. Sometimes God allows suffering in our lives in order that His glory can be revealed. We live in a world that is marred by sin. When Adam and Eve chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, their eyes were opened and their relationship with God was completely splintered and the results were catastrophic. It only took one generation of their family before a family member was murdered as Cain killed Abel. And from this point forward in Adam and Eve's life, relationships with God and with man would be categorized by strife and by struggle. And we see that in Mary and Martha's, in the way in which they relate to Jesus. We see it in our own lives, in the way in which we relate to Jesus. At a first glance, when you see first Martha's response, and then there is this sense in which she has great faith. And in some ways, she does. Um, As we look at the story, we see here that even Martha and Mary both show a level of belief, at least in Jesus' resurrection in the final days, yet they show distrust and disappointment in His timing in the present. How much does this characterize so much of our lives today? We have faith to believe that Jesus will grant us eternal life in the life to come. But we live without His power and belief in His goodness in the present world. And it's very important that we see that even in times of waiting, even in times of suffering, that God is up to something that is far bigger than the stories that we would write for ourselves. It's very important that Christians understand that our lives are not our own. If we miss this, we'll become frustrated, disillusioned. And Christians, church family, this flies in the face of the majority of teaching that you hear in churches today. 
The majority of teaching that you hear is a health and wealth style gospel that says that God is here for you. And that God is going to make a way for you. And that God is going to make things better for you. And most people are far more attracted to this style of gospel than they realize. This story that we're reading today, if you think about it from Lazarus' standpoint, it's, it's really not a very, very satisfying to, to the health and wealth crowd who would believe that worshiping Jesus means a better life, that it means no more strife, I think one of the greatest hurdles in American Christianity today in terms of making disciples is the individualistic, self-centered culture that we bring with us into the church. If you believe that your faith is primarily about you, then you're going to be greatly disappointed in God when He allows struggle in your life. This story... Keep it in mind, this is one of Jesus' closest friends. So close that this is only one of three times in the Scriptures where we see that Jesus wept. And yet, He allowed Lazarus, His good friend, to die. Not because He didn't love him, but in order that Jesus' followers would believe. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you must remember that this life is not primarily about you. It's how Paul in Acts chapter 20 could say, I count my life as nothing for the sake of the gospel. The truth is this, God is more concerned about His glory than He is about our happiness. And that's a really good thing. Let me say that again. God is more concerned about His glory than He is about our own personal happiness. And that's a good thing for us. Because if we will pursue life in Christ, we will find great joy. Even in the midst of suffering. Paul and the apostles show us that. But if we pursue our own joy, if we pursue life in ourselves, we will find great struggle. And we will find that we cannot create the life that God alone offers us. Look finally, as this story wraps up, beginning in verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? That if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Martha's response in in verse 39, it indicates that she didn't understand Jesus' intention to, to resurrect Lazarus in the present. 
She was trusting that Jesus could bring eternal life to Lazarus. But verse 40 reveals a truth, not only for Martha, but for each of us today. And I want you to listen to this truth, and I want you to take this truth with you throughout this week. In verse 40, Jesus says, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. That's the first point of living lives that are fully alive. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Now this is not a works-based theology that Jesus is laying out here. This is, this is not uh, run in contrast to the gospel. As if we can create our own destiny through positive thinking. But Jesus is pointing out to Martha what happens when we place our faith in Jesus. We see God's glory revealed. And this isn't a one-time thing in our life. This isn't that moment once in our life where we come to believe in Jesus and then we're baptized and it's just all over and we're just waiting for Jesus to, to come back or, or for our death when we will pass from this life into the next life. No, this is a day by day. This happens over and over again as we continue to choose to believe and to see God's glory revealed in our lives on a daily basis. As we trust Him, even in times where it seems as if He is delaying, so we trust Him in the moments of waiting in our lives. We trust Him even in the moments of suffering where it seems that there's nothing good that could come from all of our problems and all of our concerns. And we don't turn to sarcasm and we don't turn to cynicism and we don't turn to disbelief but that we continue to trust in God. In verses 41 and 42, Jesus' prayer demonstrates that this healing has already been granted by God the Father. He's merely thanking God for it. He prays in order that people would realize that He is the Son of God. And I love how theologians have argued over the years about verse 43. Some theologians have have pondered if Jesus had not called Lazarus by name, if all the tombs would have given up their dead to, to be resurrected in that moment. And in verse 44, miraculously, Lazarus comes forth in much the same way that we will see Jesus later in this gospel resurrected. However, Lazarus' resurrection is merely a sign because it's temporary. Lazarus would still face an earthly death. Jesus' resurrection is eternal, both for him and for all who will believe. Now, as we think about this text and we think about what God might have for us in our life this week, I want you to go back to verse 40 and I want you to ponder this statement that Jesus says to Martha If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Recently, I heard R.T. Kendall. And uh, R.T. Kendall is a well-known pastor in England. He's written over 70 um, books, really well-known theologian. And he said that as he's traveled the world, he either sees churches who are, he sees good churches who fall into one of two camps. They either have sound theology and teaching, or they're filled with a spirit 
And they see a movement of the Spirit and even signs and wonders. But he said he rarely sees the two. And I think in this text, Jesus is calling us to experience both sound theology and a movement of the Spirit. Rarely do we see Spirit and truth. And today's church, more than ever, needs both. And so I'm going to ask you just to trust the Holy Spirit for a moment. And I, I know that we're not all gathered together in this room, but believe me, the Spirit can work through technology. And so I just want you to ponder where you sit there in your living room for a moment. I want you to sit as you watch this broadcast, maybe even later, past Sunday. And I want you to ponder and allow the Spirit just to reveal to you where do you currently in your life need to believe in order to see the glory of God revealed. Maybe it's a place for you in your life where you need to experience forgiveness. There are some of you who are carrying stories with you. As part of your story, you have experienced suffering at the hands of others. Um, there are some of you who have experienced great hurt and great loss, even great abuse at the hands of people who are close to you. There are many of you who are watching this broadcast that, um, that have been raped by family members that were close to you, who have been sexually abused by people who cared for you. There are others who maybe the level of trauma that you have experienced doesn't seem as if it would meet that level of physical or sexual abuse. But you carry hurts with you. People you trusted who let you down. People who have done things to you that were wrong. I want to ask, what would it be like today in this moment if you began down the journey of believing that you could grant forgiveness to those who have done terrible things to you, who have hurt you, who have brought loss into your life. And that you could begin the process of forgiveness not because they have earned it, but that you could begin to show a kind of grace that has been shown to you by Jesus that that before you could earn that forgiveness, that you began the process, just like God granted you forgiveness, that you today could begin the journey of saying, I forgive, in order that you could walk away from some of the chains that have held you down. How do you need to believe today in order to see the glory of God revealed in your life. There are some of you today that as you ponder this question, how do I need to believe in order to see the glory of God revealed? There are some of you who have areas in your life of spiritual hopelessness. As you look at your life, you see long cycles, long struggles, you see sin in your life that just seems as if you can never overcome it. What would it be like today 
If through the work of the Spirit, by faith, you said, I'm going to begin to believe that God can do a work in me through His Spirit, that He can break these cycles of sin, these cycles of struggle, these cycles of hopelessness in my life, not through my own power, but through the power of the gospel. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in me today. I'm going to believe that God is at work. Where do you, believer, need to believe in order that you would see the glory of God in your life? What is the glory of God, you might ask? I mean, how do we even define what that is in order to know where we need to believe? Someone once said that defining glory is like defining beauty. You recognize it when you see it. You recognize it when you see it. Generally, the glory of God refers to the visible splendor or the moral beauty of God's manifold perfections. Now, some of you may say, thanks, appreciate that, that doesn't help. Sometimes we can see the glory of God or at least a picture or a symbol of it in nature around us. It it helps us in understanding, in, in making an attempt to put into words what can't be contained in words. What God is like in His unveiled magnificence and excellence. Because that's what we see expressed in our lives when we begin to believe in God. And to see His glory revealed. Nature helps us at times. I had a roommate back in college. And whenever we would be outside and we would look up at the sky and you know the moments I'm talking about where you see a cloud move over the sun and you see the rays of the sun coming through the cloud my roommate in college would oftentimes say that's the glory of God being revealed and he he would just randomly whenever we would see that he would say there's the glory of God and it was just a reminder to him of God's manifold presence that's at work in our lives all the time We see the glory of God in our lives when we believe. When we believe. Do you see God's glory revealed in your own life? If not, let me ask why. Who are you living for? Are you living for an audience of one? Or are you living for your own glory? Irenaeus is famously quoted in saying that the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. And that's been misrepresented often in people's lives. I think most people believe that means that God's glory is dependent upon us living these expressive, authentic, very open lives and finding our true selves But the truth of the matter is that God really doesn't need our depravity. Because we have no idea what it means to really live. Without the power of God, we live for our own pleasure. But we never find joy. But when we live for God's glory, we find ourselves fully alive. It's what would cause Paul in 1 Corinthians 10... Verse 31 to say, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. I want to ask you, Christians, believers, if you would take, just as we end today and and as we go into this last song, 
It's a song called Stronger. I want you to think for a moment, what areas of your life do you see that you are weak? What areas of your life do you need to see the glory of God revealed in your life that you would believe? I want to invite you to take just these next few minutes and invite God that you would surrender yourself to Him. That you would believe that God is at work. That He's at work in your suffering. That He's at work in the moments in which you are waiting. And that He is at work in a way in which His glory is being revealed through your life as His manifold presence. As He is orchestrating something in His story that's far greater than what you could paint or what you could write on your own. Pray with me. Father, we thank You that in this story we see the greatest example of Your glory being revealed and that that is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, would You help us to believe? Would You help us to believe that You are still today saving sinners like us? That You are still bringing about eternal life and forgiveness? God, both that You're bringing Your kingdom into our lives. And that doesn't just begin at the point of death. But God, that begins now. And so God, I pray for individuals through the work of your Spirit that right now that you would begin to point out areas of unbelief. And that they would turn these areas over to you. Areas where they need to experience forgiveness. Especially in people's lives who don't deserve it. In the same way that you've granted forgiveness to us. God, I pray for those who are struggling in sin, in cycles of sin, that they would give them over to you. God, thank you that in you we have hope, in you we have life, and in you we have joy as we see your glory revealed in our world and in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.